0: Welcome to chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you're challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Here we find ourselves in the book of James again. So if you take a flashlight and open up mental closets and look in dark corners, I think you'll probably remember a few of the things we've been saying about this wonderful general epistle. Which has its own very distinct personality. It's not Pauline, it is not Petrine, it is not Johannine. It's very much James speaking in his own voice. Think, well, what makes it so different? Think, well, in some ways, he assumes or goes past some of the big cosmic questions, theological foundations, and goes right to this issue of outcomes. If you are in Christ, What should be emerging from you? What should become your character? What is your practice? And then he famously says, Don't you know that faith without works is dead? Now today we're just going to start in chapter 5, verse 7, but we're going to see that that's a horrible starting place. Uh, That that, uh, verse 7 doesn't just appear as an isolated thought, but really the rest of the chapter is quite important to us. But for now... Uh, We'll play along. So reading James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Well, be patient about what and why, because that seems to be the theme, be patient. But is this a biblical public service announcement? Just a little nag popped into the letter from the pulpit of James. Well, of course I should be patient. Everybody knows that. When I'm driving, when I'm waiting to deboard a plane. That one gets me. Waiting for a phone call. Waiting for an opportunity. Waiting for the kitchen or server to finally bring my food. How long has it been now? Of of course I should quit fussing, cursing. Under my breath and quietly. uh, Complaining. But is that all there is to this passage in James? Is it really just there to tell us, you know, especially hotheads, cool it? And every once in a while we're all, all hotheads, so we need to learn to cool it. There is so much more, you might say, the guts to this passage. We all know, and all of James' readers knew that one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience, or the Holy Spirit is patience and that this is an attribute that grows naturally in a Christian as we acquire the character of Christ. So you have to ask, everyone knows that. Every Christian knows that. So why is James pushing the patience point? Nice alliteration, right? Mm -hmm. None of the Ps popped in the microphone as far as I could tell. Why is James pushing the patience point here and now in this letter? Being patient about the petty things in life is important. Our impatience, while we're standing in line, waiting to make human contact, you know how that goes, Um, press 1 to speak to an agent. You are caller number 45, and now you will listen to eine kleine Nachtmusik for the next 20 minutes, uh, and then you'll be cut off. Being patient in these situations is important, and they're an important barometer Uh, for the stress in your life. You can tell, because how anxious am I? Well, you know, how patient am I in the petty situations of life? And it tells me a little about my attitude, just uh, how self-important do I think I am. So patience in these situations is important. But let's not trivialize. I think that approach to this passage trivializes it. And James has a much more serious, you might say gutty, purpose in writing. If we start in verse seven, which as I said is a bad idea because it connects to the first part of the chapter, then this, in verse seven, this would be one of those classic passages that begins with a kind of therefore brethren be patient. Therefore, and you have to say, well, what preceded this? And in particular, what immediately precedes this? Because the scripture writers don't just string random aphorisms together. They've got a, a point, and their, their, he's driving it throughout you know, the whole, this whole part of the chapter. What precedes it? Well, you don't see a man or a woman waiting impatiently for their French fries at McDonald's, being told, like, be a gracious soul. We don't see a person driving a little aggressively to get there. What do you see in the first six verses of James? That gives us the context, Context, and it's dramatic What does he say? What do we see? Well, what we see in that chapter is misery coming upon the callous rich. We see moth-eaten garments, gold and silver that come to life and eat flesh like fire. We see strong language in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you therefore be patient? (laughs) Well, is he exhorting these strutting aristocrats that are mentioned in the beginning of the chapter, just two verses earlier, to be patient? Oh, please be patient, brothers, while these blockheaded workers take too long to polish your car, to check you into the resort, to uh, get your food to you, or something like that. Uh, Don't they know how important you are? But be patient anyway. Well, I hope those swells can attain patience, But I don't think the passage is addressed to them as an exhortation to patience. I think for them, it is a stern warning, a threatening warning. The patience message comes to those who follow, immediately preceding verses. Who do we see else up in those verses? Weeping workers, exploited, abused. It says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. I can't speak for you, but I want you to consider, and I won't nag at it, that in the broader history of the world and the broader cultures of the world, who do we match as North American Christians? Are we the swells or are we the, the exploited? You answer the question for yourself. But I see that in this passage, we've just jumped from you might call it therapeutic deism, as it was famously called, to a lesson that almost seems like it's a lesson in labor history: cruel owner bosses and exploited workers. Now, many of you may feel immune to that, especially if you come from that midnight world where you, you know, like changing jobs means you quit working for your cousin and started working for your uncle in a little shop somewhere, you know. And of course, they're not going to, you know, exploit you at least too badly. Um, that's not the reality of labor in most of the world. The drama described by James is what shapes life for the vast majority of the human race through its history. And you can't write it out of scriptures, and it would be wrong for us to write it out of this scripture. The Bible speaks to two groups directly and bluntly here, to the exploiting rich, and it becomes a dire warning. God sees, God knows, God pays back, so to speak. He will put things right. The coming of the Lord is at hand, the passage says once. The judge is at the door, the passage says once. It's surprising, though, that that message that threatens the one group is meant to console the other group. And what is this message to those who need consolation? Be patient. Verse 7 does sort of start us off with a disarmingly gentle image, doesn't it? Maybe that's why we do this to the verses. A farmer waiting. Now, I suppose there's much more anxiety in a farmer's heart and mind waiting for for rain. I mean, more than a city slicker such as myself could probably appreciate. I I imagine sleepless nights are involved, you know, (laughs) worry about how you pay this off and all that kind of stuff. But it does seem kind of organic and natural. And I think for a modern reader, Blunt's our interpretation of what follows in the passage. But I think that would be very shallow reading of what's happening here. The farmer image in the passage makes us consider one thing that's very important is, what are we talking about being sown or planted, and what are we talking about being harvested? Well, I don't think he's just sort of drawing an analogy with no purpose out of the world of agriculture. I think he's saying, like the scriptures so often say that what is planted and what is harvested is the gospel of Christ. And suddenly it's already beginning to not be so gentle here. But think about this. Think about this carefully in this passage. There are grave injustices in this life and in this world. How will I respond to them? I, me, I have chosen the gospel as my answer my way to live the truth but i take a look at the world take the ukraine as a recent example stuff that happens in every era largely it will ultimately be at least in human terms as history forgotten or ignored but you don't have to go to another country to do this or look at the broader sweep of these kinds of things in our own lives in each of your lives there will be Questions that are going to feel unanswerable and involve justice, or what is fair, or what a good outcome should be. And could there be a God there if these things happen? Why did that person die in a car wreck? Why does that person get caught in the crossfire of two gangs drunkenly shooting up a street? Why does this other person get cancer? Well, and even that's more dramatic. what about my dreams that don't come together? The really hard one, too, that maybe even beyond that is, why did it have to turn out that way? Look back in your life. Yours is shorter than mine. I might have a little more evidence on this, but there are lots of episodes where I just say, why did it go that way? A little tweak would have led it to success, beauty, riches, Wonder, but it didn't happen. And so it went the other way. It went badly for me. It could have changed the entire story. In someone else's life, everything came together, led to success, but in my life, those same things didn't come together and get me there. But you can ask yourself this in a million contexts, and people do all over the world all the time. Why do I work at an unfair job? Why does the other guy get ahead, the other woman get ahead, uh, advance in the job? She doesn't do anything. She makes more money than I do. I stay put. I didn't, get the, I didn't get the raise. I didn't get the advancement. Why is it so easy for some, so hard for others? And why do those who get it easy seem to become callous and, and uh, arrogant? Sort of assume that well, they really were just a little bit more special, and that's why it turned out well for them. Why do they look the other way? Well, these are the kind of injustices that They're just part of life. There's no answer here immediately to so many of those questions, whether they're major or minor, where a sense of injustice, at least cosmically and in the large picture of the world, uh, is involved. Pain is involved in a life as they consider these things. So I consider myself, I said, I've chosen the gospel as my answer to this how I will live. And so I'm paying close attention to James. If if I am wrong about Christ, if that was a bad move to choose the gospel, then I've wasted a lot of my life and foregone a lot of uh, uh, opportunity, I might say. In Christ, I would have boxed myself in with a bunch of stuff about kindness and generosity and patience. If I'm wrong about Christ, oh, I have many friends and family who would If they're still alive still be in line to say we told you so don't don't expect sympathy from us we told you so well if I'm wrong about Christ then I should take matters in hand for myself forget all the nonsense about forgiving giving serving loving waiting most especially I should quit being patient If I'm wrong in light of the problems of the world, patience is a terrible trap. It it softens you. It keeps you from aggressively addressing the issues at hand. Religion truly becomes the opiate of the people. We're once again back to labor history. The passage goes on. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. But once again, don't trivialize this. We could say, well, James is just saying, quit grumbling about someone at church who rubs you the wrong way or doesn't do something you like. I mean, maybe that's what it's about, but that would be to rip the verse entirely out of its context. Uh, The passage here is, yes, you could be under deep, deep stress You could be living in a situation of injustice in the world. You might be exploited. Life is not always fair, not fair in big ways sometimes. And it's easy under that kind of condition for a person, persons in the same condition, to turn on one another to start blaming one another, to fight among themselves, quarrel among themselves, uh, try to just grab that little margin of whatever they can get that will advance them above the other person. And so they, 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 they resent each other instead of perhaps just facing the, the unfair situation as it is. They could get selfish in this dog-eat-dog world. It's, uh, I don't have time to comfort you, console you, support you. Yet James is saying, the Lord's going to condemn that too. (laughs) The judge is at the door. To be changed by the love of Christ allows no room for this attitude. It will be condemned along with the cruel rich that that James has already described. The unsettling thing about this when I'm studying this kind of thing in the scriptures always is, I thought, wait a second, he's not just addressing the, the broad world He's talking to Christians in the church in this letter. The cruel rich he's talking about apparently, or at least within the domain or reach of his letter, as are the other people who are grumbling. So are these swells living so high, perhaps set claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ? Are those who have this need of encouragement, but also told, "Don't start grumbling because of this situation. Be patient." Are they also the Christians? It's hard to tell somebody in a situation when they feel they're being treated unjustly to say, yes, but look over at the door. The judge is standing at the door. The one who will dispense judgment, who will put things right, is about to come into the courtroom. What I think with this passage, doesn't this passage have a lot of punch? all of a sudden? I mean, it's gone from just be patient to, uh, aren't the stakes raised mightily here about life and the questions we have about it? And what are our examples? James goes on to say, well, all right, take an example. What's his first example? The prophets. How are the prophets treated? They were not raised to the heavens on flowery beds of ease, were they? I mean, uh, tradition says Isaiah was sown uh, sewn, sewn in half. Sewn in half, um, Right from directly from the scriptures, you know, Jeremiah was thrown down in a well. <laughs> he was taken as a hostage on a forced journey to Egypt. As I would reckon a fairly old man, it was uh, prophets were not treated well. And James says, take them as your example of patience. Think of how they were treated. Matthew 23, what did Jesus say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who who were sent to her. And why? Why were the prophets treated so shabbily? But they held their patience, still looking at something far off. They saw something dimly. And for this, they suffered and were willing to suffer patiently. As an example of patience, they lived lives that undoubtedly, I mean, we look back and say, yeah, what great, great champions of faith. But in their own world, they appeared to be losers, really, failures to much of the world. But they could endure and express this patience, as James is pointing it out, uh, based on what was to come, that they could only see dimly the reality of Christ as ours. It was only theirs at a distance. John 8, what does Jesus say? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. First Peter, in a fairly lengthy set of verses, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. See, see that the prophets in, in service of a vision that, in, in when we talk about Isaiah, you know, eight hundred years precedes the time of Christ. Uh, uh, they they become our example. Picks another interesting example of patience, Job. Imagine the pain and frustration that he experienced in his life. And whereas the prophets kind of knew for what they were being persecuted, Job doesn't really have a clue, does he? It just kind of all falls out on the sky on on top of him and his life and kind of ruins it. Uh, and the theorizing of his friends as to why it happened just gets them and in them into trouble and, and just adds to his suffering. But James says he endured. He endured in patience. Why? The end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. There is, in so many situations, no earthly, immediate earthly answer, but there is this. Faith. The judge is at the door, and the judge is very compassionate and merciful. So when James says, be patient, it's a hard thing to do. This world is full of sins. This world can hurt you, but it will be judged. Our patience is not foolish passivity in light of these problems. Nothing in the passage says lie down and take it. Nothing in the passage says nothing, you you shouldn't do nothing to correct or heal or put things right. But there is always in the gospel the keen awareness that God is allowing wrong to happen in the world now and that our capacity to change that world is limited. No matter what great gains we could possibly make as a civilization, and we do win a few. Listen, you don't want to have been alive 300 years ago. There is advance. There is improvement. But there will always be terribly hard things to live with. Patience is the ultimate statement of faith in Christ. It is perhaps our most important witness to the world to be patient. It's our statement of faith. It sees the world and life for what it is, allowing neither naive optimism or selfish despair. Patience says that what I lose or what could be taken from me will not be forgotten. The judge is at the door. And I thank him forever that he's able to make these things right while being full of mercy and compassion. And then we get to verse 12. Takes a while to think about this. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be, be yes, your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So James clearly put this in the passage so that your Mennonite ancestors could have another point of uh, extra righteousness for which they could be persecuted. It's a win-win, right? Uh, extra righteous and persecution. What, what could testify greater about the superiority of our, our branch of the faith? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I think we're going there. Um, you, you recognize that, that your Anabaptist forebears theologically made a big point about swearing oaths, but that's because swearing oaths was quite a different matter in their life. Why is it here? Why is it follow this passage? A person swearing to something is predicting an outcome that they are certain of, that they are in charge of. I swear, and in the case of James, I'll get even. I'll survive. I'll conquer. I'll make them pay. Russia will pay. The abusers will pay. I'll make it happen. I can swear to it. But I can swear to it on a stack of Bibles, as they say, of course. And I have to ultimately recognize my limited capacity to make things happen. Um, all my sincerity and energy in the statement, which is how a modern person thinks I swear to something works. It just means I'm really serious about it. But we realize that won't guarantee anything in terms of an outcome. But the ancient view of swearing oaths had much more to it. I mean, it involved bringing curses on yourself and all that, but it was far more significant than just announcing your intense intentions. It had a binding quality, almost a kind of magical power uh, about human energy. And so now we think, well, why does he put this in here? I think it fits perfectly with what precedes it. Don't swear oaths. Embrace patience and faith. The judge is at the door. The judge is at the door he is forever merciful and compassionate. He will make things right. Your oaths won't do that. That's a, a false hope a false lead, a false commitment of human energy. So now that we've uh, reviewed the ancient world and labor history here, say, well, all right, now we're standing in Rosedale. What, What do we do here? But I just simply have to ask you, what's eating at you this morning? I'm going to guess in most Christian lives, there's a background pain or hurt that is always there. I think you can learn a lot of stuff from counselors and pastors and friends about how to minimize these kinds of struggles in life. Of course, your reaction is up to you. But patience is not just some sort of superlative attribute that you acquire, something of your own making that that makes you invulnerable to the big problems. That's a philosophy called stoicism. It is not the faith of Christ at all. It's not the faith of Christians We speak of patience built on faith that God sees, values, and cares. The judge is at the door, and we thank him forever that he can put this all right for us while being full of mercy and compassion. Learn from James. Be patient. Thanks Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.